Welcome to Sunday Sermons from Trinity UMC in Lincoln, a podcast to help on the faith journey. Now on to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Slater. Well, today is the first Sunday in the season of Lent in the church year. It began with Ash Wednesday, and I know that many of you were part of that as well. Uh, And uh, on Ash Wednesday, uh, we begin this season. It's uh, sometimes described as a season of penance. Uh, And, you know, uh, uh, celebrations like Mardi Gras and Carnival uh, have their roots in that. You know, it's like one last big party before the season of penance. Well, that may miss the point a little bit. It's more about redoubling our efforts to grow, uh, and, and we ought to be avoiding sin any time, of course. Uh, sometimes uh, people give something up for Lent, a form of fasting. Sometimes people add something. I know uh, me, myself, uh, I uh, have recently uh, found a, a new devotional, uh, one that I used to use a long time ago and gave up on and have rediscovered, uh, and I am uh, making that effort uh, to be part of my own journey, as well as trying to be more more grateful. I'm trying to come up with one thing to be grateful for every day. So whatever it is that you want to do in Lent, I hope that you will think about it. One thing that I do every now and then as a pastor, as a preacher, one who gives the sermons during Lent, is I uh, let someone else choose the scriptures for me. Because, you know, if we all make our own choices in faith, uh, sometimes we don't, uh, we, sometimes we miss out. You know, we're subject to our own biases. Uh, and so all of the sermons uh, that we have during Lent are going to come from the Revised Common Lectionary, which is not something I normally use, but I will guarantee you that there will be weeks where I get a scripture passage that I don't know how to preach. And I'm going to have to figure it out. I will guarantee you that before this is over, there will be a sermon that you don't want to hear. (laughs) But maybe you need to. And that's part of what Lent is all about and part of what we're going to do. Uh, And so we start today with Noah's Ark. That is one I had not expected. Now, I'll give you a disclaimer. I have a favorite sermon series that I did once before that uh, starts with Noah's Ark. And we're probably going to hear this message again because sooner or later I want to share that series with all of you. However, the story of Noah's Ark is one that a lot of us have from our uh, childhood. You know, how many uh, Sunday school classrooms have murals of Noah's Ark or a rainbow on them, and for good reason. But it's a story that we haven't always allowed to let grow up with us. Uh, And I think it's good to revisit it. And at its core, it's a story about how God chooses to be present with us in difficult times. Now, tell me that doesn't seem right for this moment. I wouldn't have thought of this scripture, but it's perfect for the moment. So let's talk about the scripture itself, because there are a few questions that I think good thinking rational people need to ask uh, whenever we think about Noah's Ark seriously. One is that it is a type of story called a myth. Now, that word is a little bit risky because it has multiple meanings. Its meaning has changed over the years. You know, now you say myth and most people think of like a Mythbusters, the uh, wonderful science TV show where they try to find movie myths or uh, 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 beliefs that people have about science that when you actually test them, that's not quite how it works. No, 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 that is not the kind of myth we're talking about here. We're talking about a myth in the, the sense of a story that helps shape us and mold us. It doesn't do a lot of good to talk about whether the story is literally true or not because that's not the point. You know, it's similar to a fable or a parable. A myth is kind of a grand story 
And when we allow ourselves to be steeped in a myth like that, at least a myth of our faith, it helps form us and shape us and make us who we are. Now, who knows? Literally true is never out of the question. God has done some amazing things. But it, it doesn't matter if it's literally true because that's not the point. Now, when you look at other cultures that were around the Hebrew people in the ancient Near East, they all have flood stories. Uh, they all have stories of a terrible, terrible flood. So no matter uh, how much of uh, the, what we know as the Noah's Ark story is true, literally or not, we know that there was a terrible flood in the ancient Near East that caused all sorts of destruction and death. Uh, but the difference, as always, with the Hebrew version of it, the version that's in our Bible, is that instead of seeing the flood as a vindictive thing, instead of seeing it as wrath of God, it has a twist. It has a twist that reveals a profoundly hopeful view of God instead. Now, another bit I'll give you, because if, if, uh, I would encourage all of you to go read the whole story of Noah's Ark. It covers about two or three chapters. I'll warn you, though, it's a little bit tedious to get through because it, ha it repeats itself, and a strange repetition at that. My eyes were opened in seminary to why that is, and I, I, I want to share it with you, too. Scholars believe that what we have in our Bible is actually a collection of at least four different versions of the story, four different scrolls, in fact, probably more than four, but four we can easily identify. Uh, and what happened was, about 600 years or so before Jesus, the Jews were exiled uh, to Babylon, and they feared that their faith would be lost. And most of what we have in the Old Testament now, or well, at least the, uh, the Torah and the early parts especially, were in that time of exile. They were afraid they were going to lose their faith. And so they started collecting all the scrolls that were most important, and they collected them into one book. And, they, uh, and what they did during that time was they wove a lot of them together, especially with the stories that were most important. So when you read the story of Noah's Ark and you see this strange repetition, what's actually going on is you're reading different versions, different scrolls. They wove the, the narratives together and that's why it repeats in the way it does. So what makes this story worth saving? You know, for one thing, they clearly saw it, uh, it when they were in exile and in fear of losing their faith. They clearly saw this story as one of the ones that was most worth saving. And for that matter, if there were so many versions of it around, that shows you that everybody thought this story was worth saving. And so maybe it's good for us to take a second look at it as well. So let's tell the story itself first. Now, I think we have to back up just a little bit. Today, we're in Genesis 9. The flood story starts in... Genesis 6 or 7, something like that, a few chapters earlier. And, uh, uh, but only a few chapters before that is the story of Adam and Eve. And I think we need to start there. You see, God created humanity to be good. And then in the, 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 another myth, another story that helps tell us who we are, uh, the story of Adam and Eve, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the two humans are, uh, uh, fall prey to temptation. They give in. They eat of the apple. You know how that story goes, right? And as part of it, they are exiled from the garden. They are never able to live fully as God intended them to live because of their weakness. 
Now, it isn't long after that. In fact, only one generation after that that the first murder occurs between Cain and Abel. Things go downhill quickly, and humanity is giving in to temptation and revealing their weakness so much that by the time we get to the story of Noah's Ark, God acknowledges that humans are not strong enough to do this. <laughs> this pattern isn't going to change. Humans are going to continue to be weak, and there is going to continue to be evil, which is to say a lack of God in their lives. The next part of the story is the one that's terribly disturbing and the one that we don't talk about very much but that we need to acknowledge. God acknowledges that humans aren't strong enough to do it, and then God says, I'm going to start over. I'm going to kill everyone with a great flood. Now, this is the part we skip over on the Sunday school walls, right? God wiping out all of humanity with a flood. You know, the faithful have debated for ages whether, this, whether that was really God's desire or whether it was the holiest people of the day just trying to make sense of the great suffering that was around them, uh, suffering caused by a natural disaster. Let me say that again. Was it really God's will for all the people to die, or was it just the holiest of people struggling with so much death and destruction and trying to make some sense of it? You'll forgive me if I don't enter into that argument today. You know, that's too long even for one sermon. Plus, I think it's something that we all need to wrestle with for ourselves. Theologians even have a special name for that question. It's called theodicy, uh, and that alone is worth looking up and learning about. But as the story goes on, leaving that aside, as the story goes on, uh, the animals, uh, God tells Noah to take the animals onto the ark, two of each kind, so that humanity can get a good start again, so that creation can get a good start again with all of the animals. Now, when I first learned all of this, I was uh, a little bit mad, I'll be honest with you, that so many focus on the ark and on the animals more than they focus on the difficult start, uh, parts of the story. You know, in those days, I used to get mad. I used to get mad at Sunday school walls when I first learned all of this, because I'm like, how can we talk about the rainbow and the animals and not the death part? <laughs> now, for the record, I don't think there's anything wrong with using this story to teach our kids that God loves the animals and that the animals are part of God's creation and that God loves and protects us. In fact, I think this is a wonderful story to, to do that with. The problem, though, is when we don't allow the story to grow up with us uh, and when we don't bring it along as we go. So, Noah takes all the animals onto the ark. You know how the story goes. It rains for 40 days and 40 nights. E that's even longer, by the way, than it has been snowy and cold in Lincoln. So you want to talk about seasonal affective disorder. Imagine how Noah and his family felt by the end of those 40 days and 40 nights of rain, trapped aboard an ark. Talk about isolation, right? Lack of uh, other uh, community. And in the end, Noah sends out a dove and the dove comes back with nothing. He sends out the dove again. Eventually, at the end of the 40 days and nights, the dove comes back with a green sprig, and it is a sign that indeed the floodwaters are beginning to recede. And that's when we get to today's scripture. That's when we get to the real point of the story, the real point that we need to grasp to allow it to grow up with us. Now, they read it so well earlier, but I'll, I'll read it to you again now that you have a little more context. Let's see. Starts in Genesis 9, chapter, or, uh, uh, verse 8. 
God said to Noah and his sons with him, now they're out of the ark and on land now, I am now setting up my covenant with you, with your descendants, and with every living being with you, with the birds, with the large animals, with all the animals of the earth leaving the ark with you. By the way, that language mirrors the creation story. God is acknowledging creation and its goodness too. I will set up my covenant with you so that never again will life be cut off by floodwaters. There will never again be a flood to destroy the earth. God said, this is the symbol of the covenant that I am drawing up between me and you and every living thing with you on behalf of every future generation. I have placed my bow in the clouds and it will be the symbol of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow appears in the clouds, I will remember the covenant between me and you. You all grasping this? Have you ever had clouds in your life? It's God is saying, when I bring clouds over the earth and the bow appears in the clouds, I will remember the covenant between me and you and every living being among all creatures. Flood waters will never again destroy all creatures. The bow will be in the clouds. And upon seeing it, I will remember the enduring covenant between God and every li living being of the earth's creatures. God said to Noah, this is the symbol of the covenant that I have set up between me and all creatures on earth. Did you all see that last spring? That's my front yard. <laughs> there was a double rainbow, and we were so lucky to have seen it. Uh, I don't know if you can see on the live stream, the one on the top there, the, the double rainbow, but we went out and looked, and it's, it was breathtaking. It was awe-inspiring. You can see the storm still present, but the bow shining through it. Now, do you see the real significance here? Do you see the depth of what's going on in this story? So God starts by acknowledging that humans can't do it, that humans are not going to be able to live their life and to be as they were created to be. It looked to God like humans were a failed experiment. Is that the right word? But it's at this moment in the story that God adds, but I'm never going to give up on you. That's huge, right? God pauses for a moment and considers that. God not only acknowledges that humans aren't going to be able to do this on their own, but God adds, but I'm never going to give up on you. And as we go through the rest of the, the, rest of the Old Testament, the rest of the Bible, the rest of our own lives, we realize that there's only one thing that can follow for that for God. You know, God says, God, God, God realizes shortly thereafter that what he's really saying is, if I'm not going to give up on you, then the only way you're going to get through this is if I walk with you. God says, your struggles aren't going to go away, but since you don't have the strength to do this on your own, I will be there with you, helping you every step of the way, and I will never forsake you. This is huge. This is the moment in the Bible, in the story of our faith, in the story that shapes us and shows us who God is. This is the moment when God consents to walk with us no matter what. When God promises to be with us through every trial, 
through sickness, through heartbreak, through loneliness, through grief, through unemployment, through misunderstanding, through family situations, through mental health struggles, even through pandemics. God is always, always, always with us. Just as God was with Noah, just as, with, just as God was with the animals two by two, just as God was with the Jews in exile when they saved every version they can find of this story, just as God as with, is with you, just as God is with us. That is the covenant of the bow in the sky. So you know I don't like to end without giving you something to do. (laughs) You know, we've already talked about Lent and spiritual practices, and I've asked what you are going to give up or add to grow closer to God during this season. But I want to give you an idea for something else. In the 1600s, there was a monk named Brother Lawrence. He's famous for his spirituality, and he's famous for coining the phrase, practicing the presence of God practicing the presence. You know, occasionally God comes to us in obvious ways, and isn't it wonderful when God does come to us in obvious ways? But most of the time, God comes in the ordinary, and experiencing God's presence in the ordinary requires practice, practicing the presence of God. This week, I want you to think about where you are struggling. Now, maybe it's with social isolation. Maybe it's with just the sheer amount of change that's happened in the world in the past year. Maybe it's fear of what's coming next. Or maybe it's something particular to you, your health or your family uh, or your job. Whatever it is you're struggling with. This weekend, I want you to hold that on one side and then pick a time. Pick a time that you'll remember. Maybe leave yourself a note or something that you'll see that will remind you. And every day at that time or in that place, pray and ask for God to help you to see God's presence on this side in whatever it is you're struggling with that you hold on this side. Now, it's not wrong for you to pray for your struggles to be over. In fact, that's a good prayer, but it's not what I'm talking about here. What I'm talking about here is not the prayer for your struggles to end, but rather the prayer for you to see God in the midst of your struggle. Now, hopefully it does end. But before it does, practicing the presence of God means looking for God in the struggle itself. Because that's the rainbow. The sun shining through while the storm still rages. The rainbow It's the sign of God not giving up on our weakness. It's the sign of God acknowledging our struggle and the sign of God choosing to walk with us when we cannot do it alone. It's the sun shining through the storm, even when the storm rages on. It's God with us. Would you pray with me? Oh God, thank you for such a wonderful and beautiful sign. There is a beauty to it too, isn't there, God? Lord, storms rage from time to time. 
And all of us are in one now in some sense, some of us even more than others. Help us to look up. Help us to look out and see the place where your sun is shining through. Help us to see the place where you have, pl uh, where you have put beauty even in the midst of our struggle. Help us to practice finding your presence. And as you walk with us in the midst of it, may we realize that we walk with you too. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this week's Sunday Sermon. For more information on growth groups or how to more fully embrace the life of faith, visit us at www.trinitylincoln.org. Welcome to Sunday Sermons from Trinity UMC in Lincoln, a podcast to help on the faith journey. Now on to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Slater.